You're listening to 3CR Radio. While Dr Louis Dean Valencia-Garcia is an Associate Professor of Digital History at Texas State University and a Senior Fellow for the Centre for the Analysis of the Radical Right. Louis, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. As a fascism expert, what can you tell us about the Republican Party's attacks on democracy? What does it look like to you? Quite honestly, it's a bit terrifying. Um, The best way I can describe it right now is it's a little bit of watch and see, but at the same time, what I'm seeing at least is sort of a blatant attack on democracy, Um, attacks on who has access to voting, who has access to being able to having a voice within democracy. It's a little bit of touch and go, to be honest, in the United States at least. What's your response to the resistance by some Democratic senators to actually saving democracy in the US by bypassing the, the Voting Rights Act that, uh, that Biden's trying to push through? I think, quite honestly, um, yes, absolutely, the Voting Rights Act is necessary and would be the best case scenario, but at the same time, there's not enough political support behind it, which is terrifying. Um, when you look at the just the numbers within the Senate itself, there are not enough people who are willing to support the very basic idea that everyone should have a voice within democracy and fair and free elections. Um, it's not there in the United States right now. What's your response to President Trump's uh, rally in Texas on the weekend where he actually said that the January 6th insurrectionists had been treated unfairly and if he's re-elected, he would pardon them if required? Ex-President Trump, thankfully. But um, I think one of the things that's most terrifying about this is that he... And the majority of the Republican Party is really trying to push this idea. It's not just an ideology. It is a strategic plan um, by which uh, the Republican Party in the United States is trying to not just push an agenda, but to sway the election towards themselves in what it fundamentally is an undemocratic way. Um, To quite honestly, gerrymander, so put, uh, creating districts that do not reflect the actual um, sort of, not just like vote, the representation of voters in the United States, but really trying to cut out people from being able to vote in the U.S. elections in a way that's not just fair, but also representative of what the actual people are in the United States. What can you tell us about the Republican Party's efforts uh, through the state legislature in Texas to suppress the vote, to basically enforce modern-day Jim Crow laws? I mean, I think you just said it right there pretty blatantly. It's um, You look at some of the sort of um, gerrymandering, so um, the creation of districts that really reflect um, not just like where people are, um, within the state, but trying to influence how votes are 
uh, interpret it. So say, for example, you just, um, in, within Texas, you create a district and you include um, 55% uh, of people who voted in the last election cycle as Republican, and then the rest um, will say either Democrat or Independent or what have you. And it just by the way that it is um, structured, leans itself towards a Republican vote. And that really is the problem, is trying to find out how sort of these um, districts are created that give an unfair advantage to uh, the Republican Party within Texas. And it's not just happening in Texas, but it's happening in a lot of states within the United States that are uh, Republican states, mostly because these uh, legislatures or um, what have you are Republican-controlled, and so they unfairly create districts that favor the Republican Party. Of course, a lot of uh, voter suppression and a lot of repression of minority groups is happening right now in Florida. As a fascism expert, uh, what do you what do you make of Ron DeSantis's plans to have election police uh, that would peruse and investigate, you know, possible breaches of, of voting law, and in effect um, clamp down on groups who are trying to enrol minorities to vote? So one of the things I always talk about when talking about fascism is if you look at this sort of uh, voter representation within um, the early years of Nazi Germany, by and large, what you see is sort of this, um, within Nazi Germany, a tendency towards creating districts that were uh, leaning not just towards like um, a Christian vote, but towards this Christian fascist Protestant vote within Germany. Um, And I think that's sort of what you're kind of starting to see in the United States is this um, tendency towards the type of voter who isn't just making um, their decision based upon their politics, but it's based upon these ideological stances that are very fervent and that are exclusionary to the extent that they try to... um, delimit who is allowed to vote or not. And with DeSantis, by and large, and also within other states in the United States right now, you see people who would probably vote for a more diverse understanding of what the United States is being uh, gerrymandered out of sort of the general election um, by and large. And this was based upon the... um, census that was conducted during the Trump administration, and it's being expounded upon right now. It's kind of not just disheartening, but like gross, to be honest. What do you make of Republican politicians trying to position themselves to the right of Trump so that they are appealing to his base should he not run in 2024? I mean, your governor in Texas Governor Abbott seems to be doing that. I think a lot of what you see right now is people trying to jockey themselves into the best position. So whether we're talking about Texas or Florida or South Carolina, for example, it's not just about like 
trying to position themselves um, against Trump, but it's trying to figure out who's going to vote for them, uh, vote for this position. And it's, it's not just about sort of the politics of the moment, but I do think it's sort of trying to guess what's the next step for the Republican party. And uh, for the most part, I, I think that it's, um, it's not just second guessing what's going to happen next, but it's trying to figure out what's the most beneficial for the individual um, participant within this quote unquote democratic process. To what extent do you think the United States has become an anachrony? Oh my gosh. Um, that's hard. Um, I don't know if it's totally there yet, but I do think that there's this question of what is next, right? It's trying to figure out where we're going to move, what's going on around us, and how can we make ourselves more democratic, which I don't think is the question on very many politicians' minds right now is how do we bring in a diversity of opinions? How do we respect, uh, how do we respect um, not just other opin- opinions, but also how do we um, think about diversity of opinion? And by and large, what we're seeing from the uh, right wing is a push against diversity of opinion. It seems very much from an outsider's perspective that the Republican Party no longer believes in democracy. Their sole party platform seems to be the will of Donald Trump. What's your thought on that? The will of Donald Trump? Oof. Um, I would say that Donald Trump is not even the far right of the Republican Party. There's more extreme than him, which is sort of more disturbing in a lot of ways, is that at one point he was extreme right. But when we look at sort of the policies that are being presented right now that are not just right wing, but anti-immigrant, anti-queer, anti, that are misogynist blatantly, what we start we're starting to see with the Republican Party is not just like sort of the rejection of the Donald Trump worldview of sort of what was once I say this hesitantly moderate. It's moving toward far right nationalism by and large. To the point where Trump is even talking about like the importance of vaccines, but the Republican Party is uh rejecting that. Which is for me at least, even more disturbing, and the fact that Trump is becoming the moderate, and I say that with such hesitancy, um, within the Republican Party. And that's scary. But it's true, isn't it? I mean, at one of his rallies, you know, he, he encouraged people to get the vaccine, and it was one of the rare occasions where he was booed by his supporters. It's extraordinary. Oh, absolutely. And so this um, most recent um, sort of uh, rally that was held here in Texas, 
he both supported the vaccine, and I think it was partially an attempt to kind of bolster his own reputation, but at the same time, he was trying to um, talk about sort of how the he, if he were elected in the next election cycle um, as president, would forgive the uh, terrorists who attacked the capital of the United States on um, January 6th um, of last year. And he basically said that he would forgive them. And so it's sort of like this this tension that's existing with the Republican Party that they're trying to figure out how do they both take sort of um, credit for um, not even what they did well, but what they did mediocrely versus sort of what might happen in the future. You must really worry that by saying that uh, the insurrectionists would be pardoned if necessary and they would be treated fairly if he was re-elected, you must worry about the impacts that could happen on potential future attacks and and future assaults on democracy. It's almost like he's giving people permission to go ahead and do it uh, with the carrot of you'll be pardoned. I, I think the danger isn't even like what would happen. It's that for the Republican Party in the future say um, that the January 6th um, terrorist attacks were to be forgiven would just sort of give leeway to this alternative idea of what the United States is to really take root. And I think that's the danger. That's the real danger right now is not just like, um, okay, who do we blame? or who's responsible, but more so, what is acceptable. And if this is considered as uh, acceptable behavior, we're in a lot of trouble. You're listening to an interview with historian and fascism expert, Dr. Louis Dean Valencia-Garcia from Texas State University on 3CRs in your face. To what extent do you think that, you know, successful casting, if you like, of, of an alternative reality by Donald Trump is actually straight out of the fascism playbook? Oh, absolutely. Um, so in my last book, um, Far-Right Revisionism and the End of History, one of the things that is a tendency of fascism is trying to look at sort of um, this ideal idealized version of the past that is used to legitimate the present. And I think that that's one of the things that is currently happening right now, not just in the United States, but globally in sort of these countries where uh, the right wing is taking hold. It's this idea that sort of there's this idealized past that is now our model for the future. And so it's kind of like an um, imagined past that's becoming our model for the future. So um, if you were to take Mussolini, um, he would look at ancient Rome and say, this is our future. Well, nobody was really wanting ancient Rome to be the future of 20th century um, Italy. And similarly for Spain, it was not the same idea of like looking at the Inquisition as being the model for the future. And I think what we're starting to see with the United States is there's this idea that the world before um, before 
the civil rights movement is now the model for the future. And I think by and large, what we're starting to see with the Republican Party is that as this idealized future of the Jim Crow South as being our model. And that's disturbing without exception. To what extent do you think the U.S. has kind of already slid into a form of 21st century civil war, or is at least on the precipice of that? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I guess it depends on your definition of civil war. Um, There might be a Cold War, right? Um, I don't think we've slipped into civil war um, as of yet, but it's a potentiality, um, absolutely. This fear of um, what's going to be the future and how to protect against not just fascism, but outright um, a change in what the United States' is, uh, ideological uh, value is. So say, for example, is the United States about freedom of religion? Is the United States about freedom of press? Is the United States about um, bodily autonomy? Um, these decisions were decided in the 20th century. Um by the Supreme Court, by legislation, by uh, the Constitution. All these things are currently up for debate um, by the Supreme Court, by uh, the United States Congress, by uh, federal courts that are looking at these types of issues. And I think that's what we're looking at, is sort of a revision of what is the purpose of the United States and what's the core of its values. And all of this seems to be undermining the public's faith in institutions, even around the issue of, uh, of abortion. I mean, as Justice Sotomayor said, if the uh, US Supreme Court was to overturn Roe versus Wade, it would create a stench of the court in the public's mind because that issue seemingly had been resolved in the 1970s. Oh, absolutely. And that's sort of the the question is, like, what is... What is the value of an institution that undermines itself, right? So the Supreme Court of the United States made a decision within the 1970s. What is the right of a woman's um, bodily autonomy? That's a question that was settled. And if that is being um, thrown up in the air again, then all of a sudden what we're dealing with is not just a question of like, um, precedent, but it's also sort of what power or value does a a Supreme Court have in general? And so everything can be up for question. Speaking of the Supreme Court, it seems incredibly significant when it ruled that uh, Donald Trump's presidential records could be handed over by the National Archives to the January 6th committee. That seems incredibly significant. And that gives the Biden administration and this select committee the chance to turn things around before the midterms, doesn't it? I mean, it does very much seem, just from what we've learned about the documents that have been released, that there is clear evidence that there was a conspiracy within the White House to overturn the 2020 election. So I guess like one way I like to think about that is this had never been a question before. Um, Every president of the United States 
had been sort of the the decider of who and what was um, something that can be released by to the public. And the fact that this was even a contention shows sort of the the fracture within democracy. And I think what we're starting to see is, okay, there's at least a little bit of hope there that uh, at least the evidence, the prime, um, I'm an historian, right? So the primary sources, the documents can be out there. Um, so, okay, ideally this is going to come out into the public, what happened on January 6th. But at the same time, we can't really trust all the people who are being called into sort of this committee to testify. How do you trust a Stephen Miller? How do you trust a Steve Bannon as to what happened that day? And I think that's sort of the underlying question. It's not just like, okay, maybe they're telling the truth, maybe they're not. But then at the end of the day, how do you trust your government whenever the people who are supposed to be most knowledgeable about what happened are not reliable? Absolutely. It seems very much, though, that um, Donald Trump, if more information comes out, this conspiracy could be proved, that uh, he could, in fact, be, be, be charged with inciting the insurrection. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, the, um, the, uh, the district attorney in, in Georgia, for example, has confirmed that they're running a criminal investigation on his attempt to kind of overturn the result in Georgia. It seems very perilous for him. As it should be. Um, and it's one of those questions that I think that a lot of people don't really know what to do with. Um, so there's not just doubt about his role in the sort of undermining of, of the election, but also sort of how do you prove it? And the more we're starting to see... Um, state legislatures in the United States right now, they're trying to change rules so that the state has more autonomy um, and the ability to push against this um, any accusations of criminality within these election cycles. So what we're starting to see is um, not just like people who are looking at Donald Trump and being like, okay, there are very legitimate efforts that were being made to undermine democracy. Uh, but now there's sort of this attempt by a lot of state legislatures to not just allow for um, the undermining of elections, but to making it legal. And I think that's the biggest threat right now in the United States is the potentiality that some of these threats to democracy might become legal. Absolutely, which makes it so important that the uh, administration is able to pass protections at the federal level to stop the gerrymandering and to stop these uh, state legislatures from legally overturning democracy, especially as the infrastructure is being put in place to do it at the midterms and at the next presidential election. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's um, 
what a lot of people are trying to make moves to prevent right now. But at the same time, there is not enough um, movement within even the Democratic Party to protect against these uh, dangers. Um, and you see this most uh, prominently within the Senate and um, a few different um, quote-unquote Democrats. And I say that very loosely because I think with um, people like Chris, uh, Kirsten um, Senebrand and um, what have you are trying to do is like this quote-unquote they're Democrats, but they're not really voting as Democrats. They're voting with the Republican bloc. And to call them Democrats is really disingenuous. Absolutely. Of course, you are in Austin, Texas. What can you tell us about the pandemic there? Um, it's hard to go out and see like people who are um, actually uh, being safe. Um, that's sort of the danger right now. Um, you go into a grocery store and people don't wear masks. Um, people don't respect people's health. People don't um, consider their neighbors. And that's sort of the most, it's not even just disrespectful, It's just, but just disconcerting to kind of have this idea that um, going out into the public, you don't even care if you're going to potentially hurt somebody. Um, and I think that's the most tragic part of this is that you start to see sort of, um, I think a little bit about uh, this idea of like, not even just like caring about who are, who are the people around you that you might be affecting, but it's basic social contract. You want to protect others because they will protect you. And if that's not happening, well, what, 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 what are we left with? Absolutely. When did that change happen? Is it something that's coincided with the vaccines that's given people a sense of complacency? Or is there something else at work? But when did you notice this shift? Um, I don't think it happened at the beginning of the pandemic. At the, be the beginning of the pandemic, everybody locked down and there was this sort of um, idea that we're going to take care of each other. And if you look at sort of the of nine eleven, there were like massive actions to like take care of people uh, for blood donations and this sort of thing. So I think what we're starting starting to see right now is this moment in which people don't want to be inconvenienced, and it really happened the summer of twenty twenty, where. There was there were not enough social programs to protect people, both at the healthcare level or the social level, and sort of the failure of any sort of system that protects people's health and welfare left them trying to defend themselves, and I think that's just been exacerbated since um, twenty twenty. 
What's it been like for you personally trying to teach in classrooms under those conditions? I've been really fortunate in that um, for the most part, and I say this loosely, for the most part, students have been very um, aware of sort of people's vulnerabilities. They wear masks, but there are students who do not, despite being very blatantly um, sort of uh, telling students that wearing masks protects people's families, protects people's health. And there are people who just refuse to care about others. And I don't know how you change that. Louis-Dean Valencia-Garcia, it's always wonderful to hear your voice uh, so far away, but it's so great to get your perspectives here in Australia. Thank you so much for talking to me today on 3CR. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate um, both being here and also the wonderful questions. 3CR. Jebediah, covering Midnight Oil. There's kind of a lot of 
a lot of things that are coming up to the fore at the moment as well, particularly in terms of the way that we imagine, for example, essential work and also sort of essential community life or essential caregiving um, and how those how those function. If we think about sort of the way that queer family often takes very, very sort of different forms and very, you know, important and meaningful forms that often don't match the picture of normative, heteronormative family life, but how so many of the of the affordances or the restrictions or the kind of the, the government governmental sort of imagining of the way that we should live and what we need to live and what we need to survive really is shaped around heteronormativity. You know, it's around the family life in the suburb, as opposed to many, you know, single individuals who have shared queer family, both sexual and community connections that sustain them and that kind of give them give them life and give them give them sort of energy and comfort and safety and security and support. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio A5 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook. <laughs> 